This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 773, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you, who are wearing their masks and washing their hands for now, but you probably keep doing it for a bit, and that's good too. iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 773. I am Josh Flanagan. <laughs> we have this thing in the script. It's kind of like a joke where after the name, there's little brackets, and then it will say a thing. And I just realized now that that was put in place when there were three of us. Yeah. And so the first person saying my name is, there's no way for me to do that. So I did. And, and just as a, a proof of concept, it was awkward. And here's my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. It was put in there to give the person opening the show a minute to stop while the other person say hi, so they wouldn't just plow right. through them. But yeah. we probably don't need that anymore. Yeah, I like to put words in there, though. The first person doesn't need to say hello. They're already saying hello. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is not... No one cares. No, let's work this out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are iFanboy. We've been doing this for a long time, and... These are the kind of I, I really have been thinking lately about like if you've never listened to this show, do you come on and go, what is this about? But people still come along, so we must be doing something right for a certain type of person. That's sure. that's the way that I look at it. We do a show for a certain type of person. Uh, every week we read a stack of the weekly comic book releases that come out. One of us picks the one they called that they like the best. We call that the pick of the week. That starts the show off, but it really only represents about twelve to eighteen percent of the program. <laughs> about that book for 12 to 18 percent of the program yeah. we talk about the other books for i'd say around 50 to 60 percent of the program mm-hmm. uh and then we talk about the patron pick for another 10 to 15 percent and i'm not doing i'm not adding these up so if you're at home going this yeah. doesn't make sense you're terrible at math yeah we do a comic book podcast <laughs> yeah. and we listen to listener mail or answer questions or, or talk about whatever it is sometime near the end we have a good time it's already started i'm already having fun just burning airtime. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> there will be spoilers for the books that we're talking about. Connor, you had to pick. I did. I'm not mad at you about your pick, by the way. Not like some people in other shows last week. Oh, okay. Well, I, just, I thought you were referring to the people who are mad at you. The, no the listeners. They're not listeners. <laughs> the pick of the week was Batman Superman number 16 from Gene Luen Yang, Ivan Reese, Danny Mickey, Sabine Rich, and Saida Timofante. And I really, I enjoy some audacity. You know, we read a lot of these comics, we read them every week. They're mostly formatted in the same way, they try the same things. But this issue, which is the first issue of The Infinite Frontier for Batman and Superman and the new creative team of Gene Luen Yang and Ivan Reese, who is using not his regular inker, but it's now being inked by Danny Mickey, which is it was interesting. I, I, and I noticed that. I said, this doesn't look, because I went back at one point and I went, who is this? And it said Ivan Reese. And I was like, I would have never. I didn't see that, so I like Danny Mickey. So the conceit of this issue, and so it actually helps take a step back. So yes. we've discussed this before, but it's very repeating that Infinite Frontier, the conceit of Infinite Frontier. Actually, Josh, you might be best to explain it since you talked to Josh Williamson about what the ethos yep. for Infinite Frontier is. So, I mean, the way that he explained it to me, and you should go listen to the talk spill that I did with him, because I basically said, you know, for context, I said, what is going on? Because <laughs> I don't understand. And so he said, well, you know, the idea is that everybody is going to go off in their book 
and do their book and try to make the best, most fun book it can. And, and the continuity, you know, as it existed, isn't the most important thing. It's, you know, go do your book. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, we'll, it will swerve back to some form of continuity one time or another. But yeah, I mean, so do this book. Don't worry about what's going on and all the other stuff or what's already happened. Just tell your story and do the thing. It's an infinite frontier of possibilities. And so Gene Lu and Yang really leaned into that for this comic. It opens up the title page. There's two film strips, one on top of another. One says Superman in the World of Tomorrow. One says Batman and Robin in the World of the Night. And you turn the page, and it's a series of double-page spreads in which these two stories unfurl via film strip, one on top of another, and eventually come together in a very meta way. So how did you read this comic? So I wanted to say that I, I very much appreciated at the beginning that there were some instructions. <laughs> they very specifically, because it's a, it's, a yeah. con, it's a format I don't know that I've ever seen, at least not extended for this long. So along the top, you see the Superman story. On the bottom, you see the Batman Great story. Great typography, by the way, in both of those. They say, listen, you can do both storylines simultaneously. You can read the top one and the bottom page and then move it. Or you can read through one, come back to the beginning, read through both. I alternated page by page. I read each part and then mm. flipped the page and then followed along because I, I thought that would be a better way to uh, see if there were parallels and things that they were trying to do in that part of the form. Well, that'll be interesting because I read Superman all the way through, mm -hmm. went back to the beginning, read Batman and Robin all the way through. So when you read it together, did you notice there were parallels in the story or the form? Or obviously Not the form, really. Yeah. Uh, not other than like sort of the act structure. So when like... You know, when things started to ramp up in one, they seemed to do that at the same time with the other, you know. Right. When you look at it in this format, it's that, you know, if you just sort of flip through it, it's not really that long or it doesn't seem it, you know, because it's all double page spread. So it's mm -hmm. sort of half the number of pages. But it, that's not a complaint to say there's less story or anything. It just it's a little smoother. than. In fact, they got a lot done in that time, I thought. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of panels. Yeah. The story is being told in these film strips. And look, there's this is a lot. There's a lot going on here. So. It's a very retro-modern Superman and Batman and Robin story being told in the film strips. You know, you've got a Superman who has an old-timey symbol on his chest with the black belt, very reminiscent of this golden age. You have Batman and Robin. It's Dick Grayson. In a version of the original costume, is very close, but it also looks a little bit like Damien's with the long, you know, the skirt part of his shirt. Yeah. But it's, you know, old-timey Batman and Robin as well. There's, like, old-timey technology but with also new technology, it's it's very yeah, much gonna, like... I would have thought the whole thing was in the past, except the I think the toll booth guard had an iPad. Other than that, it pretty much seemed to be... Yeah, he does have an iPad. It's it's very much sort of like the experience of watching the Batman the Animated Series, in which you had like old-timey cars and Tommy guns, but you yeah. also had new technology as well. Which I think is a... It's not a genre, but it's, an, it's a world that DC lives in very well, is this sort of yeah. retro-modern world. So you have Superman fighting giant robots, which is very also old school Superman. And Lex Luthor's there. He turns out to be involved. And you've got Jimmy and you've got Lois and you've got Perry and the classic sort of setup. And they end up having to go to Gotham because Bruce Wayne's somehow involved. And it's, this is a world in which only Bruce's father died in the alleyway. Mm -hmm. So Bruce is kind of a fop because he was raised super rich by his mom and she's sort of the heavy in the family in terms of the person running everything. And I liked that, again, as a part of a format that 
like as you went through, you had to discover this version of this world that we're sort of familiar with. And I, I like that it, when it's well constructed, it, it's kind of cool. It's interesting that you were, you know, saying that, that the DC universe can live well in this way because it really, if you're used to that and you know it and you don't get hung up on the like, how come it's a 1934 Roadster and they have an iPad? Like if you can just be like, cool, then you're going <laughs> to have a lot more fun with right. it, you know. But I think this was the same thing, whereas you're like, oh, wait, his mom's alive. Okay. He's acting like this. And you don't have to do that thing where you go, that's not Batman. You know, <laughs> right. like you just roll with it. And I think that was the other reason I tried to go parallel is that I wanted to see if the characterizations were consistent. And again, I don't know that that was conclusive. <laughs> right. And then uh, you've got Batman and Robin, in which there is Arkham Asylum. It involves the Joker and a, with mysterious woman with silver hair we've never seen before. And the Penguin, you know, they break out. You know, the Batman and Robin are dealing with the breakout at Arkham. But then the twist is at the end, and by the way, I didn't mention that Alfred is on the Bane juice in the Superman story. <laughs> which was... He is. Which was... Uh, which took a second. I was like, what's happening? Oh my God. He's Bane. One of the film strips starts getting a, you know, there starts getting like burning around the film. You know, film's very uh, flammable. Old film especially was, film. was basically just like gasoline in, in physical yeah. form. So the film starts burning on the top and the bottom. It starts becoming warped. But the people in the stories notice this, the burning. Mm -hmm. They become very aware of their physical surroundings. Like, what is happening? What is that thing happening over there? And the film starts to burn together. And then we cut to what I assume would be... Now. I don't know what Earth Zero is, but the proper DCU. And right. Superman is and Batman are in, this, in space dealing with a... It's a satellite. Covered in film strips. And some alien race is there okay wait 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 i had a moment here so when you say film strip mm -hmm. what that makes me think of is in elementary school for us which mm -hmm. is certainly not a thing the film strip was like a slideshow it was one at a time you'd flip it and it would go to the next strip or whatever mm -hmm. but that's what so then a non-motion thing whereas what you're talking about here is it's just film it's yeah, uh it's true. movie film I, i'm just i'm just having a memory yeah so it's just it's just film it, you know, it doesn't even really exist anymore. People don't shoot on film. Like special people who are like, I'm only going to shoot on film, but like you have to be. Nolan and Tarantino is basically. Yeah, basically. And it shows, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> the stuff that Josh and I made movies on in college that you had to cut True. by hand and pain in the fucking ass. So who knows what's going on here? Obviously, we're not going to continue on in these other worlds, in these retro modern worlds. But I loved the audacity of it. I loved the experimentation of it. I thought the art was terrific from Ivan Reese and Danny Mickey. The characters all look terrific. I loved the experimentation and I thought it really worked as, as two parallel stories that came together in this, you know, strange way in which the characters in the film recognize towards the end of their in this burning film. I thought it was audacious. I thought it was an interesting way to start this whole new continuity and it was a ton of fun. I mean, it's all yeah. I really want from a comic book is like, wow, this was fun and interesting and I don't think I've ever seen that before. I got to say, I... I don't know why I was surprised, but uh, I don't. I saw Gene Liu and Yang's name, and I thought, oh, okay, cool. I'm excited about that. And then he just did a thing that I would have, I would have not expected from him. And I, I don't mean that in a way like I don't think he could do it. He's obviously very creative, but it just, I've never seen a hint of this stuff in the other work. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit, but this is so based on the form. This is I, I'm struggling to remember the terms that I used to know to describe this stuff. This is another example of a thing you can't do in another medium. Right, you can't yeah. have these parallel stories happening at the exact same time. Like you on the screen, it would, it would be two things going across the screen, but yeah. you couldn't follow them both. You couldn't be listening to them both. It's just it's just impossible. Here, you can as a 
reader who sets the pace of a comic story is you can go back and forth if you want. Like Josh did, you can do like I did. You can read one at a time. It's very unique to the medium. But even if you look, like, he takes it even further, though, because we're existing in the form of a comic book, although he's modified it because we're basically all in landscape, which Mm is kind of, you know, I don't know if it's thoughtful about the idea of how digital reading works, but it, you know, sort of works for that format a little better. Not for me because it makes the letters smaller. And this was the one that I was reading. I was like, oh, wow, I need reading glasses. There was a real moment when I was reading this book and I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. You didn't turn it on the side? I know I did, but it makes the t- the text slightly smaller, uh, and it's harder for me to read. You know what's interesting? I was looking to see, and they don't. I was looking to see if, as you scroll digitally, it, the sprockets all match up, but they don't. They're just slightly off page to page. The thing is interesting about the form is that in the first page, you see the film spool around the camera and come down, and then it hits the the roller basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it, it's it straightens out. So then it's straight for three four or five pages and then there is a problem where it starts to disintegrate and get off of its straight line oh yeah you're right yep and then it goes back to normal for a page which coincides in the story with well there's an explosion in one of them yeah 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 and so then it's okay for a couple of pages and the film starts to explode now if you've ever run film and this is another thing like we learned how to do at one point is that you know you've got a loop and then it goes through I can't remember the, the terminology. I want to say the gate, but that's a camera thing, not a projector thing. But the, well, there's a gate. There's a well, not a projector. Yeah, you're right. There's a gate in the camera, right? Projector. So the that goes through the roller, and then that makes it taut and straight. I'm making hand gestures Check for anybody. The gate. Who, yep, and that's why there's always a hair in there. <laughs> and then it goes straight, and then there's another loop, and that slack is supposed to pre- prevent breakage or anything like that if mm-hmm. there's a problem. But you know when a film breaks or has a problem, there's always like a click. It's yep. like, and, yep. and then it messes up for a second, and then it seems to write itself, and then there's a problem. Yeah. That's what happened here. It's pretty knowledgeable in the way film works. Yeah. Well, he's our age. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> although he has a computer science degree, so this is all done on his own. We, <laughs> I just had a very vivid flashback to sitting in the film room in Park and cutting with a razor blade, and then trying to tape it together and going, fuck, it didn't, and then having to take the tape off and... Uh, you know what? The picture thing didn't bother me. I was okay with that because it was pretty clear. Doing that with the audio is much harder because you can't see the audio. Like when yeah. we make when we do the show now, you know, I can see the waveform. I know yeah. exactly where cuts go and things like that. Then you were just like winging it. I love that we had to do that. <laughs> oh yeah, I no, love it. Yeah, me too. Like I, it's completely useless. Real to real tape and film. Yep. All right. Oh. So anyway, no one needs to hear about this. We're old and my shoulders hurt. I thought this was ter- incredibly fun and delightful. I was looking forward to Gene Lewin, Yang and Ivan Reese on this book. The cover was intriguing because the cover features the characters, you know, in the old timey get-ups with the villains, and I was not expecting to open it up and find this sort of, you know, breaking of the format. Uh, which and it, everybody, really well. creatively in that, did great work. Yes, top like, to bottom. Like top to bottom. I mean, there was everybody was having to do a different thing than they were used to, and you know, they they really uh, stepped up to the challenge of the thing. Yeah, and it was sure. it was an easy pick of the week. There was a lot of good books this week. I enjoyed a lot. I yeah. my reading stack. There was a lot of things looking forward to, like Taskmaster number five, the final issue of this miniseries, which we really have enjoyed. Absolutely. From Jed McKay, Alessandro Vitti, Guru EFX, and Joe Carmagna. What I loved best about this final issue was that it, I don't want to say redeemed Taskmaster. But the opposite. But it stayed true to the character that we've been talking about this is a guy who's a bad guy. He's a villain. And this, in this miniseries, he's been not goofy, but, you know, straddling the line between hero and 
villain and, and kind of silly at times, but here he reminds everyone that he's an asshole and he's a bastard and he's Taskmaster. I thought the ending was terrific. I thought the end was good from a concept. I think mm-hmm. the last couple of pages were not rendered perfectly because it wasn't very clear what happened. The, well, I read it. I figured it out. But he, what did he do? <laughs> uh, so basically they said, okay, we've got everything and you know, and we know that it's important that you just do this thing, even though we played you. And so he's pissed off. But he turned the super it. weapon on. That's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and he, yeah. and he, you know, he says weapon activate and then everybody goes wide eyed and then he walks out and there's this, the last page is this weird sort of triptych thing where he's moving through the panel at different times, but he's in the panel in each one. It's not broken up by panels. So it's right. just sort of showing motion. It's kind of odd, but it wasn't entirely clear what was happening. I did think, you know, as by the end, I don't know that you needed that to happen. I think you just had the one image of him walking out of the house, but um, I didn't hate it. Yeah. I just think there's other ways to tell that, that storytelling part that would be a little more clear. And and, and I'm probably picking it out because it was like the one moment in the thing. I was like, well, what's going on here? I mean, and I mean the whole thing, the whole series, it was great. I did get the sense as we get to the last couple of pages that there was, um, the art was not as strong as it had been. Yeah. It was like, let's just, again, we were like a lot of medium shots, head and shoulders of these people, not great drawings of the characters. Yeah, this issue, I think, of the weakest art for whatever reason. Um, so the whole story has been, you know, Maria Hill's been, murdered the black widows chasing taskmaster because they think he did it meanwhile fake nick fury has hired taskmaster to go around the world and find the broadcast energy transmitter in the form of these three people's physical i don't want to say gates but these the physical physiology of these three people because because they have this special lock on this powerful weapon that only these people's body language can open up and this weapon was created by hammer which was you know 10 years ago or whatever it was, the uh, Norman Osborn. Evil Stark. When he was Evil Stark. And it was a weapon that would basically, you know, come down from the, from space and, and destroy the Earth or, or do damage to the Earth. And so they had to unlock it so they could disable it. And instead, uh, first of all, we find out Maria Hill is actually alive. And second, Taskmaster gets pissed off, so he arms the weapon and leaves, and it, which leaves them having to scramble to turn it off before it can, it can strike from orbit. I thought the, you know, from a, as a character arc, I thought it was great. I agree with you that the art was rougher in this issue than in the mm-hmm. previous issues. But I thought it was still a really fun issue. I like, you know, they did a good fight with him in Black Widow. Yep. I liked it. Yeah, as a mini series about, you know, sort of a, we'll say B list character, you know, B list villain. C. C. Uh, it, it was really fun. C? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, it's fine. What, you know, like, I mean, you, for you and I, he's, he's B in our hearts, but I he's mean, A in my heart. Okay. Always has been. I mean, he's ridiculous. You know, it was fun. And I, and I think that a little of the hero versus villain, whatever, is that so much of this book was in his own mind. So it's really a better look at, like, who he was. A bad mm-hmm. guy is doing bad things, doesn't necessarily think he's bad. But we realize that at the end of the day, like, this guy, he's an asshole. He's not evil. He's just, like, he's got to get his. That might make him evil. I don't know. But in his mind, he isn't. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it just because it was from him, his perspective, then it was less black and white. I guess. And I like that it was his pride at the end. You know, he felt like he would mm-hmm. been, he'd been disrespected. So he's like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to arm the weapon. Let me ask you this. Was he wrong? No. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a bad choice at the end. You, you want to <laughs> suck that one up because <laughs> it's the earth that you live on. But whatever. I was just happy that it wasn't like it ended on like, oh, you're part of the team now. You know, it's like, no, you're an asshole. And you just tried to destroy the earth. Yeah. That made me happy. Not that he tried to destroy the earth, but that they kept him as a bad guy. So, 
Speaking of humanizing villains, <laughs> let's turn our attentions over to Shadow Doctor number two. You had mentioned that I should read this book before, and so I did. I picked up the first issue, and I read the second issue, and you were right. It was really entertaining and interesting, and, and there was no – I was like, oh, this is just a story. There's no robots. There's no <laughs> aliens. We're, we're going – we're doing a period piece. Yep. There's an element of you know autobiography slash biography of this guy's family. It, it's interesting because – if you did not tell me that this was a true story, mm-hmm. I would say there's no way that this happened. Right. <laughs> I mean, I would say I would literally I would read this story that I would think somebody made up and I was like, come on, this did not happen this way. Uh, but it did happen this way, apparently, at least, you know, according to family lore, which isn't entirely. And hey, you know, there's a reason why there's a saying the truth is stranger than fiction. Shadow yes. Doctor number two is what we're talking about. It's from Aftershock from Peter Cal- Calloway. I keep wanting to say Galloway. Peter Calloway and Georges Gianti. First of all, he's terrific. And they've got a great artist on the book. Yeah. And Wancho and Charles Pritchett. This is part two. We talked about part one. I, I want to point out, by the way, Wancho has an exclamation point. <laughs> he's not just adding that. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about part one, which is the, as Josh said, it's, a, it's reportedly this story of Peter Calloway's grandfather as told to his father on, on the grandfather's deathbed about how he was a, he was a black doctor in Chicago in the early part of that last century and this family lore here is that he was uh, helped to set up by association with the Capone crime family. And so in the first issue, he was very sad. He goes around trying to get a loan to start his practice and he can't because it's the... Th- this is 1930, so it's the very beginning of the Depression and it says it hadn't gotten most people yet. You could right. start to see it start because we're talking about uh, late 1929. It was a rolling wave. Out. You know, yeah. it wasn't like one day the market crashed, everybody was out of work. It was, it, it happened as a progression. And it, so he can't get a loan because he's black. And in Chicago, not a great city for that. Ooh, I mean, anywhere really. But At the yes, time, sure. listen, there was a political machine. It's been segregated. It's a whole thing. And so he, he had been working previous to that on the bootlegging team, the Capone team. He was driver. a driver for the Capone crime family. So he goes to Capone at the end of the last issue. And so this issue, we first we start with a flashback, which was really, I thought, powerful about uh, him in uh, Alabama. Alabama, mm, 1924. Yes. Him and a girl, his friend, and they're running through the woods, and they find this fig tree, and some sexy stuff happens under the fig tree, which was a little uncomfortable because they look like they're 10. I think he should have drawn them to be a little older. Yeah. Because like, it was like they kissed, and I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, their clothes are coming off. And, and then I was like, wait, 1924? Okay, this works out, but... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, are these 10 years old? What's happening here? I think they're supposed to be like 16, 17. Which is so, all right. Which is what 16-year-olds look like to me now, by the way. Uh, his father shows up with a shotgun. He's like, are you out of your mind? If someone else had found you, you would have been hung up. Like, it was, you know, a very powerful flashback. Then we cut to Capone getting his suit made. And he wants his buddy to get a suit, too. Like, you know, it's affable Capone. You know what? That is a thing that I actually really... You don't want to humanize a guy like Capone. Because he was a bad dude. I mean, like, by every measure. But if you knew him sure. and you were part of his family and, and I, I will say like the one part that I found the most unbelievable was that Capone's crew was like, nah, this guy's okay with us. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that tracks, but maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. He was, he was part of their gang. You know, it's, who knows? Yeah, but I like who that knows? there's a familial element here. And if you're in that family, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Now, he's a scary guy. He can turn on you at any point. I think it would be ridiculous if in the story he did not turn at some point. But – you know, at this, I, I can buy that. Well, he snaps that, at him when, he's, when, he, when he pushes for the money. He says, I, why? I told you what, fucking why. Like, oh, yeah. okay. And then, of course, he's got his hitman who has a, the half of the face mask like in Warlock Empire, which... So was that a real person? 
it's different. It's just the same kind of face thing. I know. I know. What I'm wondering though is that was the guy in this book? Was there a real oh, guy? I don't know. Who, like one of Capone's bodyguards who had that thing, and was that the inspiration for the Boardwalk Empire guy? I'm just sure there was like, oh, maybe, but I'm sure it was pretty common to have the I, know, World War One vets who lost part of their face to have a mask on. Yes, I love that actor, and every time he shows up in something, my wife and I are like, "Have a face guy, Jack Houston." Yeah. Oh, is he a Houston? Yeah, he's a Houston. Like Danny Houston and Angelica Houston and John Houston. Yep. Right, yeah. Right. I'm well. So th- there's just a lot of great character stuff here between, and there's actually much more of Capone than I really thought would happen. I figured we'd stay with, you know, focused yeah. on the, the main character. But, you know, we see Capone at home with his brother and mom making the sauce, making the gravy, and, you know, looking at the headlines, which are not great for him right now. We flash back a little bit to him, how he met his wife in Brooklyn in 1917. I just thought this was terrific. And uh, then it ends with a very, you know, shocking cliffhanging note in which a bomb goes off in a nightclub. I, th- I thought this has been terrific so far. I got to say, giving a $1,000 bill to a black man in 1930s Chicago, that's going to cause more problems than it solves. I think he shouldn't be holding it and wonder walking outside on the street. I agree with that as well. I was like, put it in your pocket, man. And what I thought was, in the last page, where's the money? <laughs> right, because he's holding it in his hand when the bomb goes off, and then he's yeah. not holding it in his hand. $1,000 now, Still, I wouldn't want to blow up. Thousand dollars in nineteen thirty, as the depression's picking up. Yeah, you want to be careful with that. This has been lots of fun, and I mean, what it's showing is some pretty horrible stuff yes. in parts of the world. But I think the the story has been interesting. It's just not a comic we get really. You want to talk about the American experience for an African American nineteen thirty, where the good guy is Al Capone? <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's how how shitty. It was for this, like, well, at least I got a friend here, which I think actually explains a lot about how working in lower classes felt about the mafia in many places. Well, that's part of the argument he's making in the book himself, is that the papers are all concerned about my crimes. They're not focusing on the good stuff I do for the community. And if you were in that community, you thought that, too. Oh, absolutely. That's a real thing. That absolutely happened. Listen, I went to high school in Queens in the 90s when John Gotti was in for trial, and I had lots of my classmates tell me how much good he did for the community. Yeah, he was he was a bad one. Right, he had but a very good PR system because I still remember Holly, who was very Italian, saying he's very good for the community. So yeah, that was my. He's such a nice man. That's what she said. She had a very thick accent. <laughs> the scumbag number six, Rick Remender, Bengal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised you were still reading it. I'm trying to figure out what it is. I, mm. I mean, like I know what it is, but I'm trying to figure out what they're trying to get to with it. And I think that he actually started to. In this issue, I read two of them in a row, so it could be wrong. I really do like that he's using like his all-star cadre team of artists. I was like, oh, these are all his different guys. I missed the guy who did the first four issues. Bengal is terrific. Bengal drew his last book, which was that car chase book. Yeah. And he's great. But the first artist, whose name I, I just can't think of at the moment, was like really dirty. You know, everyone yeah. he drew was dirty. So like it looked just looked, like the pages smelled bad. Yeah, it was a Derek Robertson type of feel. Bengal's cleaner, more cartoony. Yes. And so it's a different vibe on the book than it started off as. It's such a weird book. It's very weird, but I, re- I think it is very entertaining. I like it. I think this is one of the, the ones that I've read from Remender that I've liked the most out mm-hmm. of the recent sort of, when I say recent, it's probably the last five years of stuff that he's put out. You know, since that thing with um, Fear, not Fear Agent, the time traveling doctor with the great art <laughs> oh, that has to stop. Black Science. <laughs> Black science. Like that was like there was that and then after that was some more. So that and Deadly Class came out yeah. sort of at the same time. Yeah. And then he had sort of a second and third wave of stuff that, that came out after that. And I'm digging this. 
I think that it gives him a really good, when I say him, I mean Remender, a really good forum to talk about the world through the lens of an awful character. And it, it gives you a chance to say things that maybe you shouldn't say, mm-hmm. to put it nicely. I think I, I, uh, Steve Coogan said that about Alan Partridge. He's like, he's awful and he says a lot of terrible things. But sometimes they get to say some of those things through him. And I, I think, you know, like here, Remender's getting a chance to poke at sort of both sides of the social spectrum mm-hmm. in that he's like, well, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on here. So the, the villains in this are like super woke college kids <laughs> who are trying to transform the world so that nobody gets offended. Right. Well, they're trying to like <laughs> mind control everyone so no one ever feels offensive about anything. Right. Ever. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it is funny, and it's very funny. The hippie girl pedal, who, who he yeah. immediately falls in love with. It's a funny book, and I think that's why I stick with yes. it, even though I'm often confused. Like, was there a time jump between this issue and the last issue? Because suddenly uh, this mean, guy's got a, the, like a mansion and a. I think from the end of the first arc, he you know like set himself up and was, and also don't forget like he took the gold from the bad guys, so he has a lot of money in addition right, to sort he, of. It takes a while famous. to build a house like that and custom it's a, it's pool a, and. It's a very silly book, Connor. I was just like, wait, did, we, did, did like a year pass? Because, you know. You know, why, you know why I think I like this? Is that Rick Remender is really funny. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's an extremely funny He's human. He's legitimately very, very funny. And I don't think his books have shown that for a while. <laughs> his books are really fucking serious. Yeah, you know, there's some are, fun elements of fun. But Black Sciences are pretty yes. serious, but his books usually have some element of, of, of yeah, like... Yeah, but like Low is still going on. That book is, is you know, deadly ended. serious. And the, the car one we were just talking about, like, this is him just sort of getting loose and being silly yes. uh, in a way that he hasn't been able to. And it's got a lot of personality, and I like that. And also, at no point have I been lost with like, what the hell is going on with this Byzantine plot? That's not happening here. <laughs> I think we need to bring the word groovy back. I was having this discussion a couple of days ago. Something I watched that was a hippie character. Oh, it was This Is Us. And I was like, we need to bring Groovy back. That's a tough one. A lot of things have come back. Let's bring back Groovy. That's not going to be used by people in a context that I'm going to want to have anything to do with. <laughs> That's what I think. I'm going to start using it in meetings. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, this is about a guy who's a scumbag. He's like the worst person on earth who's got these superpowers by accident. And now he's a secret agent fighting Scorp- Scorpianus. Is that the name yep. of it? But he's also a double agent. Because they paid a lot of money to build his giant sex pad. He's just awful. He's constantly on every drug imaginable. He wants to screw everything that moves. And he probably smells really bad. The thing is that makes it really interesting to me is, in order, so in order to use his power, he has to be doing something noble. It doesn't work yeah. unless he's doing something noble. Or has, so has a true the, noble feeling. Right. And, yeah. you know, there's a real narrative challenge to take a person who they've promised us is not a good person and will not be a good person. Mm-hmm. But to make them the hero of the book and have to do this thing. So there's times where, you know, he's leaning towards doing the right thing, which is what happens in every story you have ever read in your entire life. But he can't, you know, by the rules of the book. And like, so if the end of the thing is he's a good guy, that's not going to happen. You know, it's just, it's an interesting balance that I, that I like seeing how it gets worked. And it's just entertaining and it's silly. Yep. And the art's good. I mean, even, even though Bengal's a very different stylistic art than the last artist, he's a terrific artist. I enjoy it. Every time it comes out, I'm always excited to read it. There's a lot of cocaine in this book. Yes, there is. <laughs> well, Rick's been working in Hollywood a lot more, so. <laughs> patrons! Yeah. We threw the nerd signal up in the air, and patrons are like, we will come to your call. And how could you do that? Well, patreon.com slash ifanboy is the place that uh, you can come to support the show. Over the past few years, we've unlocked many shows, many things. Talksplodes, Booksplodes, Media Splodes, YouTube content. 
patron hangouts. There's Discord channels, a Facebook group. It has really been a reinvigoration of everything. And it's also, you know, everybody's sort of taking part in a thing. And, and we really appreciate that. We have another stretch goal. The next one that comes along, which I think we need to take into committee, <laughs> the G.I. Joe cartoon. We just have to find a time for the committee to meet. Yeah, that's true. So we got to figure out what that is if we want to keep going with that one. After that, there's the uh, barbecue and email video shows. We'll return on a quarterly basis uh, if let's we get bump, to that stretch let's goal. Let's bump that one up. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <No>. Patrons, <laughs> all yeah, like I said, Facebook group and uh, Discord server. That's really good community stuff that's going on there. Ifable.threadless.com. I believe the sale is over, but there was a sale last week from the t-shirts designs, but they're still there. It, they weren't so incredibly cheap that you were like, oh, I got to wait for the next sale. Uh, we have eight designs there. You can put on a t-shirt, sweatshirts, hoodies, Tank tops, three-quarter length shirts, baby clothing probably, cell phone holders, shower curtains, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of cool. We like those designs that are there very much, and, and we think that you, uh, if you like the show, you'll probably enjoy some of them as well. You can skip all that. You can go to ifanbar.com slash support, and you'll find a direct donation link uh, via PayPal, which has happened a few times. That you're wondering, why do they keep saying that? Well, it does happen. Some people yep. don't want to sign up for a bunch of stuff, and they say, hey, we like the show. Uh, we want to help support it in some way. And they throw something to PayPal and all of this stuff. You are amazing and wonderful people, and we really appreciate it. And finally, ifanboy.com slash Amazon, where you can uh, you find a general link to buy the stuff at Amazon that you need delivered to your house because you don't want to go into stores because it's creepy. And it comes pretty quick, and you can get anything. Or links to buy the books on Bixplode. And I think that's it. Yes, thank you, everyone. Die, Die, Die 14. This is a book where every time I, I see it's coming out, I go, am I still reading that? And I go, yeah, I guess I am. And the thing is, like, we're 14 issues in. I don't even know how long it's been coming out. It's been, it's been longer than 14 months because it's not a monthly book even. You know, ostensibly I buy it because I love Chris Burnham's art, but there's always something in it that's fun. I just don't, I don't even remember at this point what the overall mythology of this book is anymore. But it's Kirkman really and Scott Gimple, who's he was one of his showrunners on Walking Dead exercising some goofy muscles and the, the cover of this book is a beat up barack obama in apollo creed shorts with giant hope and change robot gloves on in, a, in an alien boxing ring and thought, oh okay and so the story of this issue is pretty good concept this i can't even describe to you what the overall story of this book is but basically previous to this issue barack obama instituted a coup against donald trump and took back the white house for a third term and we find out why in this issue it's because we are not part of the galactic alliance of alien planets. And in order to stay separate from that alliance, every four years we have to send a champion to go fight in a boxing ring in an alien world. And that champion is the president. And Obama was like, Trump never would have won the fight, so I had to take over. And that's why he did it. And so here, this whole issue is him and his crew going to this alien boxing ring and fighting, and his gloves man get malfunctioned, and he gets beat up really badly, and then, but then he ends up saving the day. It's weird and bizarre, but, you know, the Chris Burnham art is second to none, and especially with these kind mm -hmm. of out-there concepts. I read this issue, I was like, okay, I'm, I don't really remember what's going on, but I, I like reading every issue. Every time you put it on a list, I'm like, all right, that's a book. They homage the, you know, as comics do, the uh, Superman vs. Muhammad Ali cover in the middle of this double-page spread, and we have a eclectic group of people watching this fight, including Galactus and Watu, the Watcher, and uh, Alf. And Lobo, the ghost of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and what looks like could be Jimmy Carter, Adam Warlock, the aliens from Mars Attacks, the aliens from The Simpsons. There's a lot going on here. Potos and Kang. Darkseid, Metron, High Father. You're lucky, lucky. Ah! It's my Alf. Cylons from the original Battlestar Galactica. If you enjoy really out there sort of sci-fi concepts, 
I don't even know how to sell die-die-die anymore, honestly. Not that I'm trying to sell it to people, but uh, at this point, I'm reading out of inertia, and I, but I do enjoy every time I read it, honestly. Cool. It is fun. Miles Morales, colon, Spider-Man number 24. This was one of those two superheroes hanging out with each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Kamala Khan comes, sneaks away from her house to go hang out with Miles Morales for the day. And, you know, they're just pals. And they're walking around a devastated New York City because apparently, apparently, by the way, the King of Black thing's over. So that is happened it? at some point. It is in this book. Okay. That's what I know. That's, yeah. that's the extent of my... And so they, you know, they're walking along and they get some ice cream. And they just, actually, that's after. They play basketball together. You know, and they have fun and mm-hmm. they go get the ice cream and, and they're having a nice time. But then somebody it yells that they need help. And they're like, fine, they have to go do the thing, you know, and it's a nice day that they have together. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, and, and so a building collapses and the people are like, well, the, the landlord didn't fix the thing. So they're like, what's his name? And they go and they scare the bejesus out of him. And he's some, you know, white kid with a fancy car who isn't doing the thing, you know, and they blow his car up or they cool. zap it so that it doesn't work anymore. So it's, you know, working class hero kind of thing. Then they get the ice cream. Sorry. <laughs> you know, and then he goes home. And the last thing is, you know, is the intro to the Clone Saga, which will happen in the next issue. Which, oh, right. They're doing Clone Saga with Miles Morales. I did see that. That's... Which fits, and it's fine. But either way, what I want to say is, is a single issue. I thought this was really fun. I think Saladin Ahmed has really transformed this character of Miles Morales into somebody who's much more believable and authentic as a character from Brooklyn than maybe it was in the past. And I really liked what Brian Bendis did with the character. It was great. But I think after the Into the Spider-Verse movie and they gave him a real personality, I think this is much more an extension of that. And also a departure from just being a Peter Parker character, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what he was in Bendis' book. He was a Peter Parker, you know, with a slightly different background. And now he's got more of his own thing going on. And, you know, the... Him and Kamala Khan being friends this is a really interesting relationship, and there's been through a bunch of stuff and other stories and things like that. Really good issue. I don't know how interested I am in a, in a clone saga. I will keep reading it because I've been reading it all along. But you know, it's just one of those day in the life sort of uh, issues, and it's fun. Those are always lots of fun. Yep. Ha ha. Number three. Have you still been reading? Ha ha. I, I no, I don't remember it. It was a patron pick about the clown. Remember the clown got shot yeah. in the head. During the bank robbery. Okay, kind of. I've read the first three. It's an anthology book. Each issue is different. I think we talked about two. Two was about the uh, the girl, but there's no point in going into that. Uh, the reason why I read three was because I saw the cover. I really liked the cover. It was super cartoony and really nice. And then I saw the name was Language. So it was drawn by Roger Language. This is a totally silent, well, almost totally silent issue about a mime clown, which I guess is sort of pushing, I mean, are mimes clowns? I mean, I think they're in the same family of entertainer. Then again, I guess it's not really about called clowns, it's called haha, and I guess mimes are supposed to be funny. I don't know. Anyway, this is it sort of breaks the format, but it doesn't really matter. This mime is a street performer who's not very successful, doesn't really make any money, he's behind on the rent, discovers one day, well, first he goes off to the scrap heap to try to scrounge copper wire in his mime outfit. Like bubbles. Yeah, in that scrap heap, he finds like a, a very retro robot that he discovers mimics his movements. So he now has a second for his act on the street. So he does his mime work with this giant robot who also wears like a little hat and wears a cane and a bow tie. And they're a huge hit on the street because there's this, they're a robot and a mime and he's really happy. He's got a buddy and he's making money and he's not buying rent anymore until one day the robot's creator 
finds finds them on the street and trouble ensues. It was weird and kind of sweet and a little bit sad. And it was almost totally silent. Let me ask you this. Does the mime at any point put on an old-timey underwater diving suit and then smoke a cigarette in said diving suit? No, but he does do a heist in an all-black outfit and a beret. All right. Where he has to go get the robot back from his from his creators. And uh, like all these all these issues, it ends sort of on a sad note. But this was a really terrific issue. But for the art, it was, it was a master class in telling story through just the art. Because of all right, well, I have it. put it on my device right now. I will I will check back with you. I won't because it's an anthology and the story will never come back again. But have you still been reading Crimson Flower? I did. I did. This I read the third I issue up. here where our protagonist uh, finally finds the man who killed her father. This book is it's funny because I sort of sort of forget how brutal it is that there's an opening fight where she takes out like three other assassins and she's like knocking guys' eyes out of their heads and you know stabbing people in the face with like whatever she's stabbing him with it's hard to tell with the art it's a pretty brutal book in terms of that sort of, sort of thing and i thought yeah. the the guy who she finds who it turns out to be the murderer is, was pretty scary well, i still love this art i love reading this book it's it's definitely out there and it's definitely you know uh, on the edges of between comics and comics with an x but it's it's a lot of fun in, in a, for a book that's pretty brutal I'm not sure how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I, I read through two, and I was like, all right, I kind of remember this was a thing, and I read it, and and then I, I had three there, so I just kept going, and I kind of like it, mm-hmm. but I don't love it. I don't, I don't, I think the thing is I don't know what to make of it. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what the theme or the point is supposed to be, and I don't mean that to sound like, well, what's the point of this? I mean, I just want to understand mm-hmm. because that, that helps me. It, you know, like, obviously, it feels like she's searching for some you know the the solution to this problem of this moment that she had and she you know stumbles upon pure evil you know and then she's got this uh there's also the pharmaceutical you know there's some sort of metaphor here i feel like i'm not grasping and i want to find it i think that's yeah well i mean she it's a revenge story she's on her and there's there's the added element of her mental illness which makes her see things in a fantastical way so whether or not that'll all come together in the fourth issue, or, or I assume it's like who knows how many issues there are, but it seems like we're heading towards the climax pretty quickly. And this is Matt Kent and Matt Lesniewski. I love the Matt Lesniewski art. Lesniewski. Yeah, I think it's terrific. You like to say Lesniewski? I think that's what those are the books we wanted to talk about. But at Patreon.com/slash/ifanpo, you can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week we had a giant blowout winner in Alien number one, the first issue from Marvel, newly acquiring the Alien license. From was it Dark Horse had it before? Poor Dark Horse. Yeah, no, it's Dark Horse. Like we used to have licenses. <laughs> Come on. So this is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and drawn by Salvador Larocca, who you, I guess, is who Marvel goes to go to artist for Marvel for these license books. And Guru EFX and Clayton Cowles round out the creative team. And uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, we talked about before. He's also currently writing Superman and wrote The Last God. Salvador Larocca has done many things. Most recently, Star Wars. Right? He was that was what he was on. Yep. Yep. Or Dang. the very the various Star Wars books, Darth Vader and Darth Vader. I think was yeah. the one he was specifically on. So at first, I was a little annoyed that it was the pick. We, we've talked really? about before. I like the Alien books. I mean, I like the Alien yeah. world. I would go so far as to say that I've read a lot of really good Alien books from Dark Horse, specifically in the past sort of chunk of years, and I, I like 
I like the ones that exist in the alien world, not the like with Predator and the crossover. The yeah, yeah. Like. we we read recently the the alien book that was was it the one that was the uh, adaptation of the script that never got made. Mm, I don't know if I read that, but I did. I, I, I might it. have. There was a Brian Wood book. There was a Gabriel Hardman book. Basically, yes, like you know, too. if if an aliens. That happens in LV-426, and they're like, yeah, but what happened over an LV-427? I'm like, I don't know. Let's find out. Like, you know, like, I'm cool with that. I think what worried me, and and I was worried for the first two pages, was like those alien predator books where we spend a lot of time with the aliens. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the people, and the aliens are this looming threat and presence that, you know, get unleashed. And so then as I got further into this issue, I was like, oh, I I like this. This is fun. (laughs) That's our. That's we both adopted the surprise dad voice. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. I, um, I've seen all the films. I own. This Billy Eilish isn't as bad, really. <laughs> I I own Alien Aliens on. I don't think I've seen Alien Three in like twenty years. It's not not worth it. No, I I, I would be interested in watching it. I'm just saying I, I quite enjoy the first two films, and I've quite not enjoyed any of the recent ones, which I've seen all in the theaters because I like the Alien you know world. It's interesting because we both really like this, and this is not our genre. It's weird, isn't it? Space horror, yeah. It's because we were the right age for those first two films to come out. I mean, Alien is a is a a modern, you know, classic genius piece of work, and Aliens is the same thing, but like it's like top tier action movie. Yeah, yeah. One's a horror classic, and one is an action classic. So, Mm -hmm. anyway, here we are. The only downside for me, honestly, was trying to figure out if these are characters from the movies or not. I looked it up right at the beginning because I was like, I don't want to have to work with this the whole time. Because right. if you search this book, the first thing is like a character returns. And I was like, oh, is that am I supposed to know who this guy is? And no, the character they're talking about is Bishop. Everybody else is new. Let's move along. OK, that's that's what I figured when I looked it up. I was like, you know, cause I, again, I like movies, but I'm not like a not, this is not Star Wars. I don't know. This is like the back of my hand. So like I was like, was this this guy in the movies? Like I had I went through Wikipedia. I yeah, took, I looked up. <laughs> took I a looked Wikipedia break name. in the middle of the book. I checked for the whole team from Aliens. Yeah. You know, but this took place after that. They actually do a little bit where they said, you know, however many years ago was the Nostromo, and then however many years after that was LV four twenty six. Yeah, but we've so had we've had helped. sequels, and I don't, you know, I, there's been a lot of films, and I don't know them that well, so. I just had to take a Wikipedia break in the middle to see if this guy who was retiring from his job or taking medical retirement was from the film. It doesn't matter. This guy who was like the head of security is retiring. He's had, you know, he he has this outgoing, you know, interview with Bishop, one of the the bishop on the the base. I thought that scene was great. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he just wants to go home and reconnect with his son because he hasn't really seen his son because he's been working on this base and his son lives on Earth. And we cut to Earth where we find that his son. And his son's girlfriend are both terrorists uh, who think uh, that Wayland Yutani are destroying civilization and they, they want to stop it. So I didn't think they were terrorists at first. I thought, oh, <laughs> no, I, just, I did. They're clearly they're were. just they're activists. I thought that's fine. And then the end, I was like, oh, shit, they're serious. <laughs> so how'd they get to space? <laughs> so, uh, the son has no interest in reconnecting with his father who he thinks is you know a terrible person but he's there to steal something from the father's house which he does and they it all, it all ends up in a bloody disaster they storm the base they kill the guards in a very brutal fashion yeah can i just say page 24 salvador la has been on star wars books for a while yeah. and you don't really make those two graphics this lady gets her head blown off with a shotgun i know like you hear that phrase but her head gets blown off. It was but my favorite. Yeah. My favorite part of this page 
is there's an Ethan Suppley character, and I know that he doesn't look like that anymore, but that's who this guy is. Yeah. And he has a cat that he's brought to work. And the second page, that cat is freaked the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, it's is. my favorite part of the whole page. Ah! These terrorists, using whatever they stole from the father, they dock their ship, storm the base, kill the guards, get the guards, pass key. And their whole thing is they just know that this whole base is really about bioweapons, and they're going expo- to expose it to the world. Turns out it's not. Was it bioweapons they said? The aliens are bioweapons. They thought it was a cyber warfare. Okay. Secret cyber warfare facility. Turns out it's not. It's a place where they've been housing the aliens for study. When will Wayland yutani learn? <laughs> I have to say, when they get locked in the room and then all the alien hell breaks loose, I was very satisfied. I was like, eat those idiots. Yes. So Totally. It's like they haven't seen any of the other movies. <laughs> so a lot happens here. And I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was very true. Is you said this is very true to what it is I like about these movies. Is mm-hmm. like the hubris of people. Mm-hmm. The, one of the things I thought was really interesting, and probably maybe the most alien of all. And I mean by that, I mean the most like the first movie that I really liked. And there was some of this in Prometheus, but I know that you don't want to talk about that. <laughs> the bishop android is talking to him, and he's like, "Well, goodbye." Yeah. But there will be another one of me down on Earth. That he works as the therapist, basically, yeah. and he goes to see the other android down on Earth. And he's Bishop, but he's slightly different. Because yeah, he people says, on he Earth says this isn't goodbye because I'll just upload my files to the other Bishop and it'll be like, you're talking to me down there. But that Bishop was a little different because yep. people on Earth have different expectations about how to be spoken to than people who are in orbit. And I love that. Yes. That's such a nice little touch. And it's a thing that, call, like, oh, you really understand what this character is about. When I saw it was the pick, I was like, cool. I like Alien and I've read a lot of good stuff. And hopefully this is more. And I just 100, 100% delivered the thing that I would have wanted out of this book. Yeah, like I said, I was a little annoyed, just, you know, just licensed books in general. But then I read it and I was like, that was really fun. I'm looking forward to the next issue. So, yeah. Good job. Because I was not going to read this. Yeah, so, I, job, I was. But... <laughs> so thanks for voting for the page. So let's do ratings. Well, first, are you going to stick with it? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. also going to make sure I watch out for Philip Kennedy Johnson's name now. He's very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, ratings. Ratings, ratings, ratings out of five. Four. I'm gonna go three seven five because the other is the LaRocca effect. But I thought ultimately sure. this the art was fine. I honestly think in terms of like what you can expect out of an alien comic book, it's mm-hmm. a five. Oh wow. You know what I mean? That, that now that you know, that's a sliding scale, but you know, Salvador LaRocca not aside, but as a comic book reading experience, you know, mm-hmm. he get, you know, I don't love the style. He gets the job done. He's a great storyteller, you know. It really did work for the yeah. story. And yep. You know, Bishop looks just enough like Lance Henriksen. A little melty. There was a couple of panels where he didn't at all, but, you know. That's just how he works. I always knew who, how I was, for the most part, who I was looking at and why. And it's actually, it was important in that sense to have him look like the character from the movie so, and then look the same every time we saw him. So, yep. you know, it is what it is. I, I'm going to give it 3.75. Yep. Nice. And I'm sticking with it. So there you go. Alien cool. number one, patron pick, patreon.com slash ifanboy. But if you get the $5 or higher level... Get your own superpower live on the show, like these four. Jason Muir mm-hmm. is he can eliminate gluten from anything. He can if you if you like, like oh man, do they make free. this gluten free? Yeah, but it it doesn't become like gluten free food. He can wave his hand about it, and and the gluten is eliminated, but it retains all of its other properties. <laughs> so it doesn't taste bad. No, or have a weird texture. Yeah, because sometimes you might like. Maybe I'm just going to deal with gastrointestinal stress forever because I like fucking bread. Do you have celiac disease? No. 
Well, because that's the only people who feel that. Sometimes you live with somebody who has been told by a doctor that that might be a thing. And then you have to go buy really expensive food that no one wants to eat. (laughs) Stephen Landry uh, can reshape his hands into any kind of mug, cup, or glass. So he's all of a sudden he all of a sudden he'd have like a a beer stein on his end of his arm or a or a yeti or a champagne flute. So like Edward drinking (laughs) vessel hands. Kinda, yeah. He can he can literally change his hands into the shape of any kind of. Okay, wait. So is it? So then is it? Is the cup fleshy? No, it's it's the it's the property of the cup. Okay, and does he have to wash them? No, he can just turn his hand back. Okay. And the washing, he just disappears. When he does that, does all, like, if he had, like, hot cocoa and, like, like it, it absorbs, that was stuck it, it to the rim. It absorbs into his bloodstream. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be careful about the liquor. It's like, I've had enough. Oh, no, it'll, oh, boy. Which, Somebody's yeah, just right, right, right into the blood. You know, it's, it's helpful if you ever have, like, you need, like, a Nick and Nora glass. You don't have one. He's like, whoop, beep. He's got, he's got it. Don't worry about it. Yep. Yep. Jimmy Hollenbeck, which is. <laughs> Really good to say. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not wrong, right? Like it's a great name. Be a, like a drive time DJ. Jimmy Allenbeck coming at you on 95.7. We got a backup on the tunnel. He sounds like a 50s movie character. That too. That too. He can look at any speculative fiction and tell you if the technological things in it would happen or not. Hmm. No, that's that's never going to happen. That's not that's not what it's going to be like. Oh, that's totally what's going to happen. <laughs> oh wow! He just knows. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So he. But, but only, it has to exist in a fictional form right. of speculative fiction. And it, once it's there, he can make an immediate determination. Wow. It's, it's a way of predicting the future, but it's very specific and maybe not useful. So he'll be watching some sci-fi shit and be like, this is bullshit. Yep. Yep. It ruins a lot of things for him. Unless, unless he's still able to like, oh, I can still enjoy it. It doesn't matter. It's just imagination. It's fine. Oh, my goodness. The disastrous Dave boy... Here he comes again, Dave boy. We know what's going to happen now. So when Dave lays hands on people, he can completely loosen up any muscle or tendon. I feel like this has come up. And I, 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 I'm sensing. The world needs it. Yeah. Or I do. The problem is that he also has incredibly clammy hands. <laughs> right. So it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. <laughs> it's definitely a trade-off. But he, he, he can just, you know, through touch, just... You know, everything loosens up. Ooh. You know. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that was maybe the most personal thing that's happened on this show. And we've talked about our underwear a lot. Jason, Steven, <laughs> Jimmy, Dave, thanks for being patrons. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. And uh, if we can do this one quick, we can, we can get this email in. All right. Wes A. from Fridley, Minnesota. Fridley. 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 With the release of the Snyder Cut, it was shown that the denizens of Apocalypse were going to be the big bads in Snyder's Justice League movies. But there was not even a mention of New Genesis. It occurs to me that New Genesis has been absent from not just the films, but the animated movies and the comics as well. Other than Tom King's Mr. Miracle and a brief appearance in the new 52 Wonder Woman, I can't think of a single New Genesis appearance in the past decade. Any idea why this might be? Are they just not cool enough? Do we just want Darkseid and the rest of the new gods? Where they Do we... Do we want them a place where they can go hang? Doesn't matter. Uh, I've been thinking about this for the past week. I mean, we're not going to know the answer because we're, so we're going to speculate wildly, which has never stopped us before. Is that true, though? 
Because I, I was trying, I was like trying that's to the case. think that they're definitely not in the movies, as far as I've read. Right. This is also right, but important to note. It's a good point to remind people who keeps asking, even though we've mentioned it before. We're not planning on covering the Snyder Cut or whatever it's called. Yeah. Just not going to do it. So you can stop asking. If by curiosity, I'm like, Ugh, and I just hit play on it, I might mention it on here. That's the most you're getting. So from what I read, they're not in the Snyder Cut. And I was trying to think of when the last time we saw the, you know, we saw Orion way back in the Wonder Woman run of the New 52. It's hard for me to tell with time because we just read that the New Gods book last year and then we read yes. you know, Mr. Miracle. So it's, it's kind of in my mind as like, well, it's there. And actually last night, Superman the Animated Series is on the HBO Max thing. Yep. And I found the episode, the second episode of the New Gods because I wanted to show my wife the Jack Kirby funeral in it. Oh, right. Yep. And, and Apocalypse is you know, prominently placed there. And I would be willing to bet that more people saw that than have read any comic book about Apocalypse. Sure, sure. But his, his point is in recent times. Like, it, that yeah, was, no, I, I know. That was what I'm saying is my timeline's all messed five up. Five years ago. So, I mean, we haven't had a full-fledged... I mean, we haven't really had either did it, in did the it, comics. Grant Morrison did the... Was it Final Crisis? And that was about the... Yeah, but that was uh, 10, 2008. Okay. And then over in um, the Tom Taylor stuff, you know, the stuff all came from... Dark Tom Side. Taylor's stuff featured... Both of them, Apocalypse yeah. and New Genesis. That would be the last time I remember seeing New Genesis in the comics, in Deceased. But he's not wrong. There hasn't really been, in the comics, a story ve- featuring either one, honestly. I don't know the last time I saw Darkseid in a comic, other than well, at the end of that one we just read. But that was the whole point of teasing that again. But they haven't really been a factor. You know, when, when the New 52 launched, which again was almost 10 years ago now, the Apocalypse was the villains, but I don't remember New Genesis making an appearance. I don't know. Maybe it's just a desire to use the villains rather than yeah. the heroes, but it is strange. I mean, that, is, that is what they turned into, you know, in terms of what DC needed. Right. They, they just needed villains. So all the rest of it was a project they gave to Jack, and people either dip into it after that or not. There's, I'm, I'm hearing an opportunity right now. You but know? the thing <laughs> is, it used to be that when you, when, you know, when Apocalypse showed up, so did New Genesis. And then it's just sort of now we're just, they just use the bad guys. I don't know if they feel like it takes away from the heroes, the main heroes, or what, but, you know, it's a bummer. Do we see any of those bad guys, though, outside of Darkseid? You know what I mean? In like the, uh, like I said, I think in the, in the comics, we really haven't seen any of them recently other than the deceased. Right. It's weird. It's very weird. He's not wrong. It's very strange. Contact at iFanboy.com is you can write in like Wes, and let's wrap this up. Previously on iFanboy, uh, there was Toxplode. I am caught up. You have a Josh Williamson episode where he's talking about all the stuff that's going on at DC and, and, and Flash and some of the creator-owned career. A uh, really good conversation I had with him. Uh, he's been on a few times. And then Ibrahim Mustafa, who uh, is uh, just created, wrote, and drew uh, the new graphic novel Count uh, from Humanoids, which is a sci-fi retelling of The Count of Monte Cristo. He's got two more books of them. He's uh, been around doing art primarily but now starting to tell stories too he's a friend of mine and that was a really great conversation that i really enjoyed also i know i say that every time i really do enjoy them that's why i pick them very carefully now you need to do one for april i do no yes is it january oh i was behind a month already yes shit okay hey i'm still not behind (laughs) Uh, then there's a media explode that we just released talked about the oscar nominations and the weird year of movies it wasn't really a pick show it was like what is going on here? It was a very freewheeling conversation yes. just about movies yeah. in general and where they are and how strange the year was for movies and where the movies are going to go from here. And mm-hmm. it was interesting. Coming up this week, you'll get the March books blowed, but you'll probably get it the first day of April. That'll yeah. be coming out this week. And it's Avengers West Coast Vision Quest. I'll tell you right now, 
You're going to enjoy this show. John Byrne's first arc on West Coast Avengers. We haven't recorded it yet, but you're going to enjoy this show. <laughs> so, we can barely contain ourselves from starting to do it here. That's right. So that's coming up this coming week. You'll find that at ifanboy.com, where all of our shows are found, including all of our, our history. Over a thousand shows are found there. And all of our old writing, our talented writers that we had over the years are all there at ifanboy.com. Facebook.com slash ifanboy and at ifanboy on Twitter. And at ifanboy.comics on Instagram is where you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. And individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. And you can subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash ifanboy. That's where we're uploading all of our old video content that was unlocked by the patrons. This past week, we had a mini interview with Josh Dysart. And we had a 2008 holiday gift guide. If you're looking for some comics to give to people, that's a good one. They're, those are timeless books. And finally, we had a vault episode in which we look at Serenity, Better Days, Maintenance, and Gordon Yamamoto and the King of the Geeks, which was a Jilun Yang book. This is his first book. Yeah, so there you go. That's all at youtube.com slash ifanboy. If you dig this show, write us a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get your podcast, you could uh, nominate us for the Zero Grant. I don't think we're eligible, and I don't know if they still do it, but that's what Gordon Yamamoto, the King of Geeks, got. Better yet, then he got the MacArthur Genius Grant. I'm saying he's very good. Yeah. Better yet, tell your friends, your mom, your kid, your letter carrier, tell people. Go about, but tell them from at least six feet away. And that doesn't mean three. That doesn't mean, ah, we're fine. That mm-hmm. means you get the distance and then be like, hey, do you like podcast and the guy's like what he goes, no do you like because you're behind plexiglass also mm-hmm. and listen you should wear your masks but it is annoying nobody's saying it isn't yeah okay it's not ideal <laughs> and it's it, it isn't but what are you gonna do uh mm-hmm. so do that thing uh that's all yes. thank you so that's it for this week's show thanks for listening we'll be back next week until then i'm connor i'm josh stay safe wash your hands wear your mask get your vaccine as soon as you can i'm almost eligible i'm very excited hey!